I've just come back from a, like a trip to a theme park with 200 kids. So my intention is to just dip my head in a vat of ice after this and just pretend this day never happened. So. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Noise Podcast as part of the Noise Podcast Network, sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. Today, myself and Will Marshall discuss the new Oceans of Slumber Records, Starlight and Ash. That's out on July the 22nd. And we talk about how sick it is. I'm going to be doing an interview with Cammy from Oceans of Slumber, where we discuss a new album, culture, growing up in Texas, Nick Cave, kicking puppies, LeBron James, the whole nine yards. It's been a fantastic interview. Please follow us on the noise podcast on twitter on youtube at noise uk um on instagram at noise podcast in noise uk please listen to us and subscribe to us on spotify please like and subscribe to the youtube video when that drops um please just get involved with us on social media it really make a massive difference um thank you very much and enjoy the episode hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the noise podcast i'm here with will marshall once again uh, the the world's busiest man. Will, given the temperature and how busy you've been over the last few months, are your fingers on fire at this current stage? Is that really what's happening? That's what it feels like. I've uh, I've done minimal typing today, so we're all right. Okay, that's that's good. That's good news. I was genuinely concerned about your health. Also, generally, what's London like right now? Is it like um, a seething mass of humanity, akin to like the fall of Rome? Because that's what I, that's what the news is telling me London's like right now. I mean, that's just London. It's just like that one. This <laughs> <laughs> is the apocalypse. Now, nah, mate, it's a Tuesday. I, I've not even left the flat today. Like, I saw the temperature and just went, you know what? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Someone put this tweet out um, today that I saw. It was like, we need to get the old son back. The new one takes the job way too seriously. Um, and I, I, I'm, completely, <laughs> I'm completely agreeing with that. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's get down to business, shall we? Myself and you, with Jack, who's skiving because um, he's got like a job and children or something or other, whatever. Um, uh, we mean you're going to be talking about the new options of Slumber Records uh, called Starlight and Ash. It's due out on the 22nd of July, which, um, as of recording, is right at the end of this week. We're currently recording on 18th of July. Um, I'm going to come to you first because I think everyone who's remotely listened to the Noise podcast knows my thoughts and I was supposed to their last record. What are your experiences, views and general relationship with Oceans of Slumber as a band? So my introduction to Two Oceans was uh, was the self-titled, was the last record. So I kind of like, they've been floating around, you know one of those bands that like they're floating around your head and you're like, they're just generally in your sphere but you never get the time to listen to them. That was me with Oceans of Slumber up until the self-titled. Then I listened to it and was like, fuck, this is amazing. It wasn't my album of the year. What year was it? 2020? What was my album of the year? Yeah, 2020, yeah. Svalbard was my album of the year that year. That's why. Mm. But phenomenal album. I loved, like, the Opethian prog death. The, like, the really gospely, soulful, like, voice that Cammy has is incredible. So my experience with them was, like, was really, like, one record. And it's it's funny because we'll probably go on to this. It's, like, it's the probably the one record that should have prepared me the most for what happened. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair statement. I have a very similar experience with them. I'd not heard of them at all. They weren't floating in my sphere. Um, 
really really at all until till chris said that we should do this for a podcast it's, it's being well reviewed it's coming out soon it's got it's got a bit of a buzz let's check it out it says prog so at least one of us will like it and um i adored it it was my album of the year um pure, almost purely on uh, not just the actual quality of the music like on shock value because i i went in and looked at some of the song titles and some of the some of the, the influences <laughs> and i thought there's there's a chance here that i'm just gonna be like not for me um, just for context, I'm not a River of Niles fan. A River of Nile fan. Um, so I'm not usually into this brand of po- uh, prog, metal, uh, prog metal, or at least the brand of prog metal that I was kind of expecting. But when you hear the voice of of, of Cammy, you hear, like you said, the Opethian sort of riff work and that that balance was just it was just like hair raising. Yeah. Really, really impactful. Just really changed my opinion on really that that, that entire genre. Um, bringing us down to to this new record now. Obviously, you've you've been list, you've you've had this in your ears at least available to you for several weeks. Me for for a little less, but really a couple now. Um, when you read the PR for this before you chucked it in, and you started reading things like Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, um, Tom Waits, um, what were your immediate thoughts? My, <laughs> I read the PR after. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right, so um, talk, talk, talk me through that process then. So I got sent this, um, and I was, uh, I don't know, I don't know when it was, probably like a month or so ago, and I was just like, oh shit, a new ocean to slumber. Because um, I'd sort of had like the announcements for the singles. So I just emailed their PR, who I, who, you know, and I just said to her, the singles are really cool. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to talk about this band somewhere. Um, I want to talk to this band. I want to talk about them. And she was like, yeah, here you go. So I was like, brilliant. And I put the first song on. And then, when it was nothing like I expected, I started reading the press notes. And I started to, like, pick apart this story. Um, So I probably did, like, one listen without press notes. And then I wasn't... So when I first listened to it, and my brain just went, what? This isn't the self-titled this is nothing like the self-titled for so many reasons but then when I went back to it and was reading I read the press notes I came back to it a couple of days later um, and basically from there I fell in love with it okay that's interesting because I was I was half expecting you to say this sounds very little like the previous record and my attachment to the previous record is such that this feels disappointed in comparison which is not my view necessarily but it's not a world apart necessarily from the way that i feel about it as this it was as a progression for a band where where do you sit with that so i i I had the fortune of 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 interviewing cammy um recently for for another place um and i i asked her kind of like and we talked about the sonic evolution of the band and she sort of said, and this is something I've, I've not gone back and like listened yet, so I'm obviously I'm going to take her word for it because she wrote the songs. Um, they've been sort of progressing this way since winter, that uh, uh, they released in about 2016, and they've been gradually because she joined the band in 2013, 14 or so, and became principal songwriter when she joined as their new vocalist. Um, so my my view on it going into it was like you just mentioned. I listened to it once and was like, this isn't the album I was expecting. I don't know what to think of this. I miss 
those Opeth moments, that Rivers of Nile prog death. I miss that. But then when I'd had the chance to sit with it for another few weeks, listen to it every so often, probably fairly regularly, I, I just... You know when you listen to an album and then you just find yourself listening to it again and again and then you eventually you sit back and you go actually I had one opinion of this album going in I've got a very different opinion of it now so that I guess is where I've gone with it oh, I, completely, I completely understand that and I think I think you listen, listen to these albums like I, this album and you're right I think Definitely the one that you sort of have to throw yourself in, and I, and I spoke to I spoke to Cammy as well, and she had the same kind of same kind of attitude as she spoke to you with, where it was this is a this is a motive progression more as as much as it is a musical progression. This is um, this is the way that we're going as people. This is reflecting who we are now. This is um, connecting with our audience in a deeper, more significant way. We're looking at music as rather than a shelved collection of genres and little boxes that people like myself and you like to put people in to make it easy to analyze where in actuality they want to see it as a wider wave and all that type of stuff and i i made i made this joke to her about like um the way that we want bands to sound exactly the same as every album and then criticize them for sounding too samey then the band responds to that criticism by writing an album that's really fucking different we criticize that because it's not as good as the previous albums and then in 10 years time they would do a reunion tour and we completely reframe their entire narrative in like a wave of nostalgia and we do this every time with like every major band and that's something that clearly they don't want to fall into the trap of it's very clear that they sort of want to move away um obviously i mean you talked about cammy joining as the primary songwriter i would say this is the vocal equivalent of her quite literally grabbing the reins almost entirely now any semblance of this is a collective for me appears to have, have shifted entirely this feels less of a a um, democracy and more of a dictatorship songwriting wise do you feel the same no and that's because of what she talked to me about and that's from the perspective of like you say they they have all chosen to go this route so she came into the band and brought this whole new dimension to it and i just wonder then is it perhaps that at that point they were like oh we've got this whole new dimension to our sound let's explore it let's explore it as much as possible because the self-titled really felt like that was the pinnacle of what they were going to achieve with what they were doing because what they were doing was long form technical heavy mm -hmm. instrumentally as well as lyrically and thematically heavy music that had this progressive bent that you know maybe it didn't have the saxophones of rivers of nile but it's a definitely it's a real comparison point as is like the opeth moment absolutely. absolutely that was the kind of death metal they were going for with her very like with with cammy's voice as well but the the idea was and this is like, like i say it's like it's what she's echoed from what the press notes have echoed of of other members of the band saying as well not just her and that's what makes me say I don't think this is her taking the reins off everybody. I think it's, if anything, if if she has done that, it's been that they've been handed. It's not that she's gone. Well, I'm yeah, gonna do it. Pulled, it's that they've pulled, gone. Yeah. It's that they've gone. We really want to explore this dimension that is your voice, because 
as much as they were utilizing her voice really well on previous work it's it's this this is her album so that this is her moment because her voice is phenomenal like there's no singer out there like her with that like level of emotion and tone and like this just like power that she has it's very unique and i don't blame them for wanting to explore that no no i i, I find that inarguable that's that's very very fair to say and i i, I think she's if not on the very very short list of best voices in in metal currently for the range and the the, the certainly the best melodic voice i've heard in in years absolute years the power that she's able to put in without actually really managing to scream it's it's honestly it's it's astonishing really um so let's actually get to actually get to the record um to begin with i think i think the opening track's really strong water's rising feels like this i got like other big of a rush fan you are but they sound like tom sawyer like the opening uh line notes <laughs> of tom sawyer with the synths and the slow drum beat um but it's if you're right if if the um if she's the MVP, if she's the, the protagonist of this album, then the spotlight comes down from the theatre immediately on her, doesn't it? Because the moment she kicks in, her voice, this swaying melody of rhythm with her own backing vocals, <laughs> just her providing the sort of call and response to begin with, just immediately pins her as the, as the, the pinnacle of this song, the centre of this this song's construction. And it really works. This is, um, this is a terrific rock song. And we'll get to we'll get to this in a bit of this whole country gothic uh, tag that have been sort of either given or developed or moniker have adapted themselves. But listening to this, this is a goth rock tune more than it is anything else, and it's really really good. What's your oh, take on the opener? Brilliant, I think it's great. You know, and what's really fascinating about it is is yeah, like you say, there's that that crash that opens it, and then just like that steady pace. But it picks up in like the latter half, even though it's a steady opener, it takes its time to like kind of get under your skin and then it goes off like and then it becomes this much more urgent. Like you say, it's it's a goth rock song and it's done so well. Like, but yeah, this this is a fantastic opener. I completely, I completely agree. I completely agree. I really like, really like Heart of Stone to follow it. The, the... The the, the 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 clean sort of ballad to follow here is really, really nice the style of the guitar what they've chosen that's the thing like you hear like oh they're abandoning sort of death metal and these sort of like progressive complex complex riffs but really from a guitar standpoint there's still moments of real clarity grace and beauty from the sort of guitar work here especially the picking riff at the start of this is just gorgeous it really complements her um, her voice um here comes the storm section at the end shows that dynamic shifting whereas the rather in favor rather than being in favor of more obvious changes in dynamic and tempo and that sort of stuff that's just really sort of let's just punch a tempo change down your throat it's more of an atmospheric shift that takes place it's yeah. definitely a more subtle record and uh, definitely a more thoughtful one um i love i i really love this album i i didn't ex i didn't expect to knowing that it was so different um but I, i've really 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 enjoyed it and and sort of the way that this sort of opens out as it goes along into songs of real depth because I want to talk a little bit on a different sense to it about the lighthouse. Um, but thoughts on thoughts on Heart of Stone, thoughts on this and the lighthouse in general because the lighthouse is a country song masquerading under a different moniker because that that's really what it is. What are your thoughts on the middle section of this album? So Hearts of Stone, like that second track, I love that like chug 
on the um, Here Comes the Storm. Yes. It's just this, like, it's so simple. But, like you say, it's surrounded by, like, first of all, it's got her, like, intoning Here Comes the Storm. And it's just so impactful. It's heavy without actually, like, without needing to break out the growls. It just feels heavy. And, yeah, then and then we shift into the lighthouse, which, like I say, it's, like, it's really country... Because like, because hearing so hearing her perspective on this has not not so much shifted mine, but helped cement like what I loved about this record. Like the lighthouse thematically is about so the whole album, as you probably know, it's about this fictitious coastal town, mm-hmm. um, and the lighthouse is almost like the people of it like worship this lighthouse as like a deity. So it has this really like huge part in the in the in the town's lives lives but the song itself like say it's this like country song basically it's a country song by a prog metal band fucking rules (laughs) yeah it's it's really good and this is the first the first song i was like oh yeah i get the nick cave thing now like i was just like all right cool this 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 makes a lot of sense this is real like american heartland um, but we're like with that misanthropic Tom White's edge that we're talking about in the press notes, I completely agreed with that. Um, and then the strings kicking in just yeah. near the conclusion of the song, um, because like I think that which I appreciate because it, I think that was the group recognizing that they need to layer it, otherwise, you know, if we've got two, I'm thinking to myself, all right, we've got two or three songs that are kind of in this acoustic clean guitar ballad that needs to be an additional section to differentiate to develop the song to explore this sound to explore this atmosphere. And the strings do that really nicely. It was a really solid choice. Um, at, at, at various points, I was expecting it to shift into something completely different, just out of out of habit, really, with the with sort of the previous record. Um, but it didn't do that. It felt really heartfelt, really emotive. And I agree with you. I like I like the symbolism of the lighthouse and you know the sort of the sort of metaphor about you know, sort of these sort of um, central figure to the village and obviously the symbolism of the light and all that type of stuff. That's really nice. Um, and then you get to, to to Red Forest Roads. It just feel like like we've just taken sort of a, a right turn into like if Alabama was like really into emo during like the nineteen seventies, um, and it was sort of like it's heartfelt, it's romantic, it's misanthropic, but it has a massive chorus with like this hypnotic rhyme scheme in the middle of it. And this is this is like an astonishing thing. I was talking to Jack about the Coed and Cambria record, and I think it's a similar skill. I said it was astonishing to me at the time how Coed and Cambria could do whatever the fuck they liked for three and a half minutes and then turn on a dime and write a massive chorus in the middle of it and it doesn't feel like it's out of place at all. Um, Ocean to Slumber have a similar trait to that where it doesn't matter what the first two and a half minutes are. At some point, that can just flick into a huge chorus. They can play the chords behind Cammy's voice and they're just able to spin it on a dime and take it to whatever direction they like. No, 100%, because like this song, I think it's this one, isn't it, where it has like that double bass where it goes really yes. fast and there's like... it's almost like it's getting close to like blast beats on the drums and <laughs> yeah. it's just like at first i was like oh this oh because on my first listen when i was still kind of going oh this is a bit different this is odd i was like oh this is like self-titled oceans of slumber in the middle of a country record uh, but now when i'm listening to it like it's so emotionally like wrought like the way that it's built this huge conclusion they drop a massive chorus and they do this like double bass it's almost blast beats and there's this double bass drumming that feels it, it somehow, even though it's like double bass drums, 
and you're not in a metal record anymore. Like, let's be honest, this isn't really a metal record. No. But they still don't feel out of place. And, like, I do, yeah, I fully agree. They've got this real knack as songwriters. And, like, you can hear... You can hear, I think, that they knew that the self-titled was the peak of what they were doing before. And they just had to really focus in on doing something new. And that they had to nail it. Otherwise, people would just be like, fuck off. Play the old stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're not... Uh, we're a pretty abrasive bunch, aren't we? Usually. So, um, I think <laughs> they're not the politest of fan bases, metal fans. So, I, I, I completely I completely agree with you. I liked, I liked, I agree with you that it was a traditional metal trope. The double kicks, the sort of 30 second beat, beat notes just behind. It didn't remotely feel at all metal. Like, it felt like it was adding to um, just the emotion of the song and the weight and the gravity of the music and stuff like that. It felt really like... Surprising. It was like rolling waves. Like, that's how... That's like just thinking of it now. That's like that's the best Ooh. way I can think of it. It's like it's just come like it's just this wave of like it's rolling drumming and it's like mm. yeah, really nice, really nice. I agree with that. Very poetic, world by the way. Very impressive. Um, yeah. Speaking, <laughs> you got it once. Uh, speaking of natural metaphors, we move on to the hanging tree. So we got um, call and response type of vocal melody with like this electronic drum sound. We're like, yeah, last beats, all right. Now we're on. Um, now we're doing like new wave, uh, new wave type stuff. Yeah. That's what we're gonna do now. Um, and then there's the sort of like little piano, and there's a return to an acapella section. There's gorgeous clean stuff in here, just utterly, utterly beautiful little chords and little little guitar licks. Like I said, if you're coming here thinking we doesn't have a guitar solos, the guitar work is shit then um, go and go fuck off and listen to Municipal Waste or something like that. But, like, really, you, this, there's some subtlety here and there's some real beauty in what's going on. Um, I really like this song as well. Like, the first five to six tracks in this album, um, I'm not so keen on Salvation, we'll get to that in a minute, but the first six or seven songs of this record are really, really good. And considering they're all kind of within the same kind of ballpark as each other stylistically, I think that's incredibly impressive to maintain that kind of consistency of quality across the consistency of the sound as well yeah it's it's all very i think this is like as much as you know before we were like oh this is definitely an ocean to slumber record when you were listening to the previous stuff this is like those first five songs are so even though they're like stylistically fairly similar there's still enough that's different within each one for you to be like I'm still paying attention now. I'm still invested. Like the waters rising has that build, that build and that tempo shift. Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's the lighthouse which goes like a bit country. There's atmospheric shifts. We've got then, like you say, we've got the hanging trees. It's all is all so well done. And I'm going to disagree with you about salvation. I think it's real. I think it's a great song. Okay, all right, okay, that's fair enough. Well, let's talk about it now. I kind of got to. I kind of got to salvation. And I kind of felt that that was the first song where it was stylistically very similar, but it took a step back in terms of quality. I felt that it stayed in the same gear a little bit and there wasn't another layer to sort of differentiate that and sort of take it in a different thing. Now, I don't think it's a bad song. I just think in comparison to the previous four, five, six songs we've got to, it was a step back for me personally. Obviously, you feel different. Make Make the case, by all means. I mean, I almost see it as like not an interlude, but as like a a, a calming moment because okay. her voice like around I mean th- I mean throughout it but especially like around the half when it when it everything's up more of the instruments kind of drop out we're left with this really like 
gospel-y sounding vocal passage that I think is just gorgeous. Like I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So to me, salvation very much feels like a you've been tossed and turned for the past five songs. You know, you've 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 had the waters rising. You know, it's it's the waves have crashed. You've been through a storm, and now we're having this like this salvation where it's almost like it steps back. And I, I think perhaps this is to do with like a lot of, like the religious undertones of the of the of the album. Like it's maybe it's like it's te- it's it's discussing a moment in this town's history where where the whether you know they f- they find this or they believe they're heading towards like this salvation and that's why it's more gospely so for me it's as much a storytelling device as, as well as anything so i i genuinely do really i mean i just really like every song on here i'll be t- totally honest with you but yeah no i i do think i think salvation is is, is still really good i think they maintain a I genuinely think they do maintain a pretty level consistent the only song I'm not as sold on is I think the spring of 21 oh see that's interesting so I feel the reverse how weird um because I was I was just I was just thinking as you were saying as well by the way like is it possible that because of the, the the length of time they're spending in their hometown that that's created this greater connection to some of the cultural demographics and cultural makeup of the city to write to write an album centered around a small town whilst being locked down in Texas for 18 months, coupled with the religious elements, the country elements, the return of different types of music. Does does well, this does this feel like a pandemic element? And do we expect a completely different Oceans of Slumber experience following a tour and actually being around different sort of environments? Or am I just making things up as I go along, which is usual? Well, Cammy's from a coastal town. Oh, like before, before, before she grew up in Texas, or like a coastal town in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a. So she's from the. I don't know if she's. I think she's. I know they're in like Houston now. Um, I don't know exactly where it was that she grew up, but it was in the south. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was Texas. But it was on the like. It was coastal. She she used to live in like a coastal town. Because again, That's I asked. Like, I asked. It was you know it was like is this historical? It was like yeah yeah. So growing up in a coastal town, you like so. I don't think it's necessarily them reaching outside of being locked down in a city. I think it's actually more re- more her reaching back into the past. Because a lot of this, a lot of this album is informed by her her experiences and mm. the experience of, of the bandmates, of her family, like people close to her, friends. It's that's the kind of the driver behind it is telling those stories. So I think perhaps maybe this is just one moment. She's maybe she's gone a bit further back, and that's why. Because essentially, I, I, you know, I'm not saying it is. I don't. She didn't say as much, but this this fictitious coastal town, you know, could well have been picked because of where she grew up initially. Very possibly, very possibly. She, she, at least took element, took taken elements from that for sure, and then blended it with other bits and bobs and and things like that. That's fascinating. That's that's really interesting. Thank you for that. So, Spring of Twenty One. You're not. You're less keen. I loved. I loved. I loved the piano album. I I, I thought it was really, really, really nice. Um, just, just really, really beautiful. And then it, uh, it's a lovely segue, I think. Like in the same way you talked about um, uh, um, uh, sort of a salvation being sort of like a palate cleanser almost. I think uh, following Star Wars, which I think is a good song, um, yeah. really nice descending groove and the doom chords at the end, really nice. And I think Spring of 21 headed into just a day um, really, really worked. And I want to talk a little bit about just that. And I'll let you go back to Star Wars if you'd like to talk about that in detail by all means, whatever. But um, 
I can't believe I actually thought of Sinead O'Connor and Opeth in the same song, uh, because that that is what happened. Um, the the opening with the, her singing of the piano felt like that. Nothing compares to you, Sinead O'Connor. Very heartfelt, sort of very quivering, fragile, whispery vocal. Um, and then by the end of it, I was like, what a shift, what a sh- what a switch up, what a change here at the end. Just this massive power and rage. Where do you sit with this and any of the songs that we spoke about over the last couple of seconds? I mean, yeah, again, so, again, like we said, so you were sort of like, you didn't dislike, say, Salvation. Again, I don't dislike The Spring of 21. I think it's just we have that, that one song on the album where we're like, it's decent, it's good. Mm. But it's it's uh, it's maybe a seven as opposed to like an eight or a nine like most of these other songs are. Um, just a Day, I love Sim- like simply and I think I think you're kind of right on the money you've got with, with the comparisons as well it's because it's like I think one of the best things about this album like is none of them feel like they plod they're all fairly slow for the most mm. part but they don't stay slow they're really emotionally heavy but they have so many different moods and atmospheres like we have like the 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 melancholic doom we have that like towering of like rage and like almost like feelings of loss sometimes there's like some rage towards the end of just a day where it like picks up so yeah i yeah i would agree on just a day for sure but i do love that they drop a curveball after it with a song that is actually i know that it was the animals that popularized this mm-hmm. this is um this was collected in the Appalachias in the 1930s, but was at, it actually probably has roots as an English folk song, House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, it's, it's got um, probably one of the most covered songs ever. Yeah. Like, this, is, this has got covers from Oceans of Slumber to Bob Dylan, let alone, let alone any of the myriad of rock bands that have done versions of it in between over the last 50, 60 songs, uh, 50, 60 albums, including, obviously, the famous version by The Animals. Just a brilliant, brilliant version. Really nice. Were you kind of hoping that she'd really kick in the dick in the last minute and a half, though? Because I definitely was. Not, not really. Like I was, I was con. I think by by this point, I'm. I was, I was like, especially on like my second, third, etc. Listen, I was confident. Now that the reason they don't do that, it, you know, it was a very much a deliberate choice to mm. keep it subdued because we've just had that like complete kicking from just a day and we're about to go into the shipbuilder's son again which is this like beautifully wrought closing sort of statement so i'm not yeah, I think, like i don't lament well, that they didn't do it but mm-hmm. you know i i get what you're saying like uh, you know but i don't necessarily dis you know i don't necessarily disagree that it would have been cool but like i'm i'm still really happy that they didn't like i still think this is a phenomenal cover that they've really just made an oceans of slumber song like this, this fits into Starlight and Ash beautifully. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, similar to when they covered Wayfaring Stranger a couple of albums ago. That's just another like they seem to pick these like haunting folk songs that just really suit her voice. I wasn't expect. I didn't want her to be like um, to like just to clarify. I didn't want to like her to hear like do like a Rob Flynn sings House of the Rising Sun kind of impression. <laughs> oh, I get you. Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of hoping for maybe like a little bit of sound of silence where she kind of harshes it a little bit and there's some toms maybe there's a timpani and some strings do you know what it's like you know it's three quarters of the way up just giving that rawness because her voice when she really starts to do that just 
puts the hairs on my back of the uh, back of the neck up. And um, we get to Shipbuilder Sun, which is a brilliant finale. And for me, like I, I, I remember the first time I listened to this, and like, I wasn't like holding on to hope necessarily because it's a beautiful album. But I was like, I wonder if they're ever gonna do this. I wonder if they're ever gonna get into like any sort of heaviness. And they never really do. They leave it completely on the table, which I think is actually much better than if they did it sort of like tokenistically. I will just stick a riff in here because that's what people want. Um, they, they leave it completely out, and I think Shipbuilder Sun's a beautiful song. Like the, the piano, um, the song work for Cammy's vocals. Um, it's dark and heavy. Um, I, the synths running under is really, really nice. It's heavy in a different kind of way. This is an album of like real emotion and grace. And while I could do two versions of this review here, essentially, where I say, this isn't what I would like it to be, so therefore it's not the best album I've ever heard of. But that's not a fair review. But I think you've got you've got to look at this album of, of, of its merits just in and of itself. And you've got to remove you've got to try and do this as often as possible. It's hard. But you've got to take the name off the front and listen to it for what it is. And what it is, I think, is a beautifully emotive album full of real moments of real dark beauty, introspectiveness, real emotion, and some of the best vocal lines you're ever likely gonna hear this year in any genre. And removing any expectation any context from a band that really you know in terms of their journey and size are still finding their feet in terms of like what type of band they are and still figuring that out and exploring and doing whatever they like to produce two albums where they could conceivably say we had one of the best prog metal albums in any given year over the last five or six years last time we did an album and now we've got probably one of the best sort of emotive rock albums when we did that this year that's never a bad thing to say, and it, it really sets them up for a, like an interesting future. So my question to you is two-part, really. Overall thoughts of the album, let's tie a bow on the review. And secondly, what do you see moving forward for this band? Because the last two albums, really, when you put together, are quite a curveball. So overall thoughts are kind of what I said to, to begin with. This isn't the album I was expecting when I first stuck it on, having not read the press release. Having not even listened to... I think I listened to the first single and was like, oh, that's interesting. That must be one of the soft ones. <laughs> and then put the album on and was like, oh, they're all like this. But my thoughts on it now, having sat with it for... I can probably look this up. I'm not going to. Um, long enough, like mm. possibly even two months. Having sat on it for a decent length of time, it's phenomenal. Like, I think it... This album really really because a lot of the themes on it are about challenging what we're given and what we're told so like there's this doomed coastal town that worships this lighthouse just because it's the way always things always have been the waters rising has this undercurrent of like a forbidden love and the music video it shows that like, there's these two women that have fallen in love but they can't be together because it's forbidden by the you know by the bible and by a bunch of homophobes it's, it has this idea that we should challenge these things and be... Because the whole point that, that Cammy said to me was like, this new Southern Gothic is to take the antebellum South with all of its tales of, like, uh, Gothic... Because that was, like, Gothic literature. But the antebellum South was very white-centric. Because the antebellum South was characterised by slavery, essentially. That period of history. So what this album does is it takes those marginalised voices and it puts them at the top. It says, no, let's tell your story. Let's liberate you and really tell your story. So this album, in that sense, really challenges that. And I think it really challenges what a progressive album is. 
this challenges what a progressive album can be. Like you listen to the last one, you're like, yeah, this is a progressive metal album. I listen to this and I'm like, this is a progressive album. But it's not progressive in the typical tropes. It's progressive in the emotional spectrum, in the atmosphere, the way it shifts, changes and moulds itself to tell its story, to fit Cammy's voice, to fit the particular moment, the particular story. Going forwards, I mean, it's anybody's guess, isn't it, right? Like, So they've done this huge prog metal album. I don't... I don't necessarily know that they'll go back to it, but I think such a such a clean break it would it would diminish them to go back, I think. Having made such a clean break and such a great first shot at it, this new oceans of slumber, where oceans of slumber are now in twenty twenty two. This is great. I want them to I, I personally I want them to build on this I want them to get gothier moodier doomier but I don't want the screaming back because like I say I think it would diminish them but if they do bring it back you know that's no one's you know I don't yeah I just think it would diminish them but it's not that I won't listen to it because I will I'll still listen to it and it'll probably be great <laughs> no I, I understand that I understand that I I I, I think it'd be interesting to see what the next album looks like, whether they actually say, this is who we are moving forward, period, this is it, this is what we're going to stand up for the next two to three albums, or they sort of then incorporate Screaming in the same way that you incorporate any instrument, and it's just you bring it in and take it away, and you put it in where it's needed and take it away, in the same way that you would strings or a keyboard or whatever it might be, and it just becomes an accented thing that alleviates a song, but it's not something ever that you rely on, and that wouldn't surprise me either. If they came out in two years and say, we're now going to do something entirely different. Um, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we're going to tour with an orchestra, and that's what we're going to do, then that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, I think that the future is is, is really up, entirely up to them. And I think this album has proven both to any potential record labels, uh, any potential PR people, and any potential fans that they can do whatever they like and following this band is going to be a really interesting journey and it makes you optimistic for the potential versatility um you know rather than when you listen to an a, a song a band do sort of two or three versions of the same album you think all right i kind of know what number four is probably going to be like and that's that that feeling is taken away entirely and i think that's a really refreshing thing really refreshing thing any final any final thoughts on this record anything you'd like to plug before we wrap this up mate yeah a couple of ones for you you mentioned orchestra here's a here's run this one by you red forest roads with timpanis and and full strings backing it oh i mean oh that's good that double bass run on on timpanis like give me it yeah um the second point was uh was something that's in the i saw i think i saw in the press notes um let me just find it it was um yeah, so Dobber Beverly, the drummer, I think he is. So he he in in the bio he describes these songs um, as and I, I I just love these quotes. If Charles Bukowski drank too much and got sad about his mum, or if Kurt Vonnegut had laid down another terrible coming home from the war theme, we're channeling that. In his words. Oh my God. I've read some Charles Bukowski. He was pretty sad about his upbringing as it is. Let alone, let alone additionally. Leave Charles alone. He had a bad enough childhood, man. Christ almighty. Some of his poems. Good Lord. 
Um, no, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I'm really glad this band are back and interesting and continually varied and versatile. Yeah. And I've, I've banged the drum against several of my friends on this record, and I'm glad that I'm, I've got an ally in yourself. Um, so thanks, thanks for your time coming up and helping review this record as well, Will. Uh, thank you to everybody that listened to this review. Um, please check us out on all the relevant social networks. Follow us at Noise Podcast. Follow us at Noise UK, both on Twitter. Uh, we're sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. Uh, please follow us on YouTube as well. All that good stuff. Please like, subscribe, etc., 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 and keep looking us li- keep looking out for more podcast content in the future. Will, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Likewise, mate. Been a pleasure. I'm here with the wonderful Cami from Oceans of Slumbo. I just want to say just thank you for coming on. It's just an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, I want to talk to you about your new album that's coming out, Starlight and Ash. Um, your last album, self-titled 2020 release, was was brought out and released massive fanfare. It was my album of the year, by the way. I just want to point that out. And um, after after that, you've now got this new record that's coming out. What were the challenges that came about following an album that had a big big sort of wave of popularity? How was your approach? Is there any pressure to sort of continue the style of the previous album, or were you looking to completely change moving forward? What was your mindset going into this new record? So with the self titled album I think the feedback and acclaim that it got helped validate the direction that we were already going in we were happy the you know it it was so well received because we were looking to we were already more strongly making that transition to what Starlight Nash has sort of debuted um where we're putting my my voice more at the forefront and we're taking a more kind of singer-songwriter approach um, and doing something that was becoming more exclusively our style and our aesthetic for the kind of heavy music that we were going to do. Um, It's never really an obligation for us to like outdo ourselves. We just always have so much that we're trying to get out and so much that we're trying to express. And we have a lot of genres that we can utilize. And so, you know, it's whatever is in best service of the song and what we want to do um it was a lot less about trying to maintain a stronghold in any one genre and really just using everything at our disposal to just make songs that we felt like were incredibly cool and incredibly uh potent in answering like what we felt like was inside okay okay so you you mentioned that you've got a lot of sort of genres to sort of get through that's a lot of options available to you for your musicians and yourself as as songwriters so what sort of inspired the other was it sort of the the songs you were writing during this period of time inspired the entire direction of the album or was it like a conscious decision all right we're going to go in this direction and then write songs to fit that which way around was it i i i don't know it's like what came first the chicken or the <laughs> <laughs> i think that with Within the year that the album was like written, it was pandemic time. A lot of stuff was still not open and we had so much time to explore kind of like our own origins and our own experience. And and here in the South, you know, there's a lot of folk, there's a lot of country, there's a lot of blues and there's just, there's so many genres where we're from here along the coast, you know? And what we wanted to do was take all of that that we have been exploring because you know you're you're home and you're deep diving into your own album collections and vinyls and you're like haven't listened to this in a millennia or like mom <laughs> what are you listening to like you know you're bored as hell and you're just trying to just expand and get energy and inspiration from anything and everything and i think that that kind of 
that took us on some exploration of self that just brought up these other styles that were were like yeah let's incorporate them like they they have been huge influences on us they have been around us this whole time and we do love them and so you know they just got intertwined into this new music that's phenomenal. So yeah, I was reading some of the information that got sent with the record as part of the interview process and things like that. And I, I'd never thought I'd read references to sort of Leonard Cohen and Tom Waits and sort of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and all this type of stuff. You're going to have to explain to me how, how you integrate music of this style, how that, obviously you mentioned sort of finding old vinyls and things like that, but how do you even begin to broach, oh, we want to integrate a little bit of this and do what we're good at and, and try this new direction. How does that all come together, that melting pot there? For Dauber, I mean, that he's probably has one of the most expansive musical, like, influence libraries of anyone I've ever met. And he's, a, you know, we're both huge Tom Waite and Nick, Nick Cave fans. And he's followed his career from conception and onward. And, you know, I feel like it becomes less about pinpointing the exact execution of, like, what a what a band or a musician like that does but it's taking a note from that that they did what they wanted to do you know something as unique as nick cave he didn't tour with anybody he doesn't sound like anybody else like he just makes music and it appeals to such a wide audience and it appeals to metalheads for obvious reasons or it appeals to alt rock or rock people for obvious reasons while not necessarily being in either of those <laughs> genres you know and i feel like it's bands like that that gave us permission to do it too and gave us permission to just pursue making good music that spoke to who we were as people versus trying to fit into any you know one to three categories <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. And you mentioned, um, just looking through the sort of the list of things that you sort of spoke about, you mentioned as, as this new Southern Gothic band, which is once again, one of the myriad of, of subgenres that we're sort of like delving through in sort of like the alternative world, the metal world. How do you feel about a tag like that? Do you, do you, do you like that? Does that, that work for your band? How does that fit your aesthetic? Is it something that you kind of like as, as, as being thought of as maybe the front runners of a new genre? Or is that just a journalistic term that we throw about each other to put labels on bands and things like that? We have a good friend, um, uh, Don Lawson, who did a write-up for us, and he used that term. And we've been throwing around that term. And I feel like it captures the most in the fewest words as, as what Southern Gothic like term just means and all the aesthetic that it encompasses. I felt like, you know, we'll take it for now as almost a new genre tag <laughs> because it you know it's it's not uh oh the it's not just about um what are you there okay it's not just about what you expect to hear so much as like what you expect to experience and that's what i like about the southern because southern gothic as a music style doesn't really tell you anything you're like i can assume it's gonna be southern so you know whatever is that and then gothic like all right maybe moody and dark and <laughs> it, it doesn't just bring to mind mm -hmm. oh it has guitar riffs or d beats or whatever and so that's what i like about it that it it sets you up to prepare for a mood more than it does a specific sound and so 
I, I haven't minded kind of using it and throwing it around too, but it's just hard. You can't categorize us and you shouldn't have to. It's like, it's music. It's, you know, there's like, there's food fusion and it's like, yeah, you just enjoy things. Or if you know a friend that can cook and they're like, yeah, threw some stuff together. You don't always have to be like, well, is it Moroccan or is it like, <laughs> yeah. Tell me exactly what it is. <laughs> I need to know exactly what nationality this food is right now. <laughs> Nobody does that. And so, you know, when it comes to music, I agree. Like we're musicians, we're sponges for what's been around us. We're traveled. Like, of course, we're going to have a lot of influences. And that's, mm. that's, that's what we've brought out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like listening to the band in terms of like when you say southern and you say texas and then you say alternative music there's like a stereotype you know there's a sound that you expect to hear and really it's like oh so it's gonna be like pantera is is always what people end up saying right so i imagine you must have heard that like every fucking interview for like a decade like so where's 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 zach wilde in this is he is he turning up soon and like these are the sort of conversations do you enjoy, obviously you mentioned it a little bit, you've hinted at it, you must enjoy the ambiguity and also the feeling of breaking those stereotypes. And I think as well, it's just a theory that Starlight and Ash is like a continuation of the idea of, all right, we've done this, we're going to do something else, we're going to do something else. And it's this process of self-exploration, like you mentioned, but also showing off your versatility. Am I anywhere near the right answer there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're I, have a, I have a very broad spectrum to my voice there's a lot of things I like to do yeah. with it and if I ever have to just sing one way why I got into oceans of slumber in the first place mm -hmm. because of the the variety of what was offered of how I could go about making songs and the kind of songs that we were were gonna make it was always in my mind like okay well it's a metal band that means we can do whatever we want mm -hmm. and <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean like it comes out <laughs> like a hardcore metal you know and yeah like, of course sorry we're not sorry and so no I, I I agree like we like to explore we like to do new things we like to and not for the sake of just doing them but because because we can and and it's like why ignore this other talented part of yourself because well that crowd of people only knows this is this it's like well they better get to knowing us <laughs> with our new outfit you know it's like it's not you won't be disappointed that it's the only I feel like the only disappointment comes of like it's not what I expected it doesn't fit what my preconceived idea of this genre or this thing sounds yeah. like. It's not disappointing because it's not good music. And it's like at the end of the day, we we just want to make amazing songs and, and they're going to come out and be whatever they're going to be. We're not going to force them to be like, well, this has to turn into a metal song. You know, it's like, that's not how we work as musicians. No, I think that's, I think that's a lovely way of looking at it. I think metal bands in general can find themselves trapped within the sort of tropes of the subgenres, like we need blast beats, we need we need beatdowns, we need breakdowns, we need to pause, then we need 14 China symbol hits, and then we need to get to the next thing. And do you know what I mean? Like we, we need to, we need to, it's like we, we always need to sound the same until the journalists tell us that everything sounds too similar and then we need to change it. And then it needs to be a bit too soft and then we need to get criticized for that. And then we release a darker album. And it's it's, it's all this, it's all the same stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's just cyclical. Um, so I want to little, talk a little bit about the lyrical stuff. Uh, full disclosure, I'm an English teacher. So we, like when we talk about like metaphors and figurative language and stuff, I start getting like really, really excited. Um, but like reading through some of the topics of the songs that you put together, you seem to range from these fictitious kind of metaphorical ideas, like like a city where this takes place, like this hypothetical abstracts, right? But then also at times you move into this sort of 
self-respective kind of autobiographical writing that's kind of reflecting some of your own personal experiences. Um, how much, what is the balance there between sort of writing those types of songs and how much of the stuff that you write in, whether it's abstract or not, is aligned with reality in the sense of what you're actually going through, what's happened to you guys as a band and how much of it is complete fiction, if that makes any sense at all. So how much of the songwriting is actually completely metaphorical and how much of it is, this is an experience that we're sort of reframing for the purposes of music. I don't know if there's like a proper term for it, but what I what I strive to do is that each song can like fully be applied to both. So it's like it's an allegory. Like I don't I don't know mm. I don't know which I don't know what term it is, but basically it's like all the songs come from a very real place, like in reality, that I tried to give sort of a folk lore feeling so that they could be applied to a broader sense. And what I like about folklore or like, you know, localized tales and stuff is it'll be it'll be this this situation and it has this like metaphor to it and it has this like takeaway of warning or you know foreshadowing or some lesson to be learned but it's applied to like you know that little girl that went off in the woods like it's a very <laughs> story yeah. with very detailed characters but the bigger meaning is that like you know don't talk to strangers or something and <laughs> yeah okay to do with this this album and with these songs we we talked closely with the band about different experiences that they felt had shaped them and milestones that had traumatized them or just different things that they felt made them who they were today that that they recollect on or loss or grief that they had and i took those that feedback and those stories and shaped the these this town and these people and this storyline to reflect that. And what I like is like, you can look at it. So like the hanging tree can be a very broad song about loss, about um, the comings and goings of uh, the stages of grief, of just loss. It can be incredibly generalized. The sadness is very felt, but it can also be very specific to someone who's in that situation at the current moment. And so I, I want it to be able to like grasp the person going through it and be like right there with them as well as apply to people who maybe if they haven't experienced yet, they get an idea what it might be like or if they're further away from that experience, they can remember it and feel that catharsis for it. And so none of it, none of it is ever purely fictional. Like it's all it's like based on true events sort of <laughs> takeaway. Um, but I, I want these songs to be emotionally potent. Like I want them to stick with people and feel like they can be applied to anything in anyone's life. And what I've been saying is like, it's like culture and things change, but like people really don't change and how mm -hmm. people feel and act has always been the same since people had feelings and actions and grief moved through our body the same way now as it did, you know, some caveman or something. And so I, I, I want these songs to ride along that thread of the human experience and be applicable to, to everybody. Yeah, of course. I think I think you're right. Those are universal empathies, aren't they? Those, those kind of emotions. Just to sort of round up the interview with before sort of looking ahead for that final little bit. Obviously, you're a Texas band in the middle of America. Might be what be might might 
words, what might be the most divisive period of time for the country, maybe since this, I don't know, it might be like 150 years at this point with Roe v. Wade, with the economy, with, with everything that's going on. Do you, obviously you grow like living in Texas, working together, obviously being in a metal band, seeing different kinds of cultures and all that type of stuff and then battling with your own songwriting conflicts and things like that. Looking out at the world around you, do you feel that division and does that play a part in any of your songwriting at all or even some of your interactions between your bandmates and other people in general? Absolutely. Like music is how I experience the world. Like if I didn't have music as an outlet to get out my feelings, I would have exploded by now that every absolutely the bullshit that goes on here has shaped a big degree of of why I feel it's so important for us to make the kind of music that we do and why I write the kind of lyrics that I do. And it will always be used as a vessel to reflect things I care about and the changes that I want to see or to draw attention to these insidious natures and these things going on. Um, it's been, you know, it's, it's, I feel like I have a very unique and disadvantaged <laughs> uh, place in America and not in the sense of like, I, I can't get like resources, but as a, a very sensitive, thoughtful person, like I look at these things that happen, I look at the nature of the changes that are happening right now. They're not for me to thrive. Like mm -hmm. I can't, no. they're not helping me specifically a black mm -hmm. woman. In a, and that's alarming. It's sad. It's frightening. It's incredibly disappointing. And and yet I'm still allowed to do so much and experience so much. And maybe really at the end of the day, it's money that is the only hindrance of, of what I can pursue. And then there's the whole capitalist side of the whole take on it. And it's yeah, like, of there's so many variables that are just so wrongly amplified right now into people's day-to-day -day lives. And I think that there's just a really big disconnect to like a true nature of things that would help people feel more settled that would help people have more compassion and empathy towards one another and you know our media our politicians our laws and all that like they're not I feel like people have forgotten how to like help each other and how to like genuinely care about each other and so you know I I try I use my music to to allow me a moment to pause and escape from it all and to form a world where I do understand everything and I can control everything. And I want to use it to speak up for people who don't have a voice that in all of this, or don't have the loudest voice in all of this, you know, nothing to me gets more amplified than a good song. And so mm -hmm it's my way of advocating and it's my way of speaking up and, and taking charge of like just the ridiculousness around me. That's interesting. Do you see your art gives you an obligation? I remember a famous uh, controversy a couple of years ago when uh, LeBron James was told to show up and triple. I don't know if you remember that um, where there was a clear line that was trying to be drawn between the artist and the, the events of the world. Do you, do you feel very differently to that then? I feel like the only people that say that are people that don't do either one, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, shut up and sing. And it's like, you don't shut up and you don't sing. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so it's like, what, what and who exactly are you to try and tell me what I use my platform and podium for and my voice for? It's like, I have a talent. I have thoughts. I have experiences. I'm going to put them. I'm going to put as many of my eggs into one basket as I can and then throw it at you. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks someone should do you know that's people that like you're just here to entertain me and they're nine times out of ten like i said it's coming from someone that doesn't really probably do a lot for anybody else and then doesn't have has never had to deal with having a a podium or a platform and figuring out what to do with it you know and it's like musicians athletes anyone with any kind of prominence i feel like you have a duty like you said you you do have an obligation to do more than just show up to be entertainment mm -hmm. because people admire you. People look up to you, whether you yeah. ask them to or not. And, and even like athletes, like people have such a respect, profound respect and like confidence in them to be good people. And, yes. and not really inherent. You're like, if he plays basketball, like he might kick puppies. Like the, the, the two are, <laughs> you know, like it's not just, yeah why we think they should be good people because they're good at sports that's to me is even weirder than like expecting a musician you know it's like based on the kind of music that they make and the lyrical content that they have in their songs that we're going to be able to infer a lot more about what they're into as absolutely into. absolutely and so it's like we we make serious emotional music and so i want to show up for serious emotional issues in the world and i'm gonna i'm going to do that unapologetically i'm not gonna let anyone else dictate because they're not in my position. They're not me. There's only one of me and I need to do these things, you know, and I want yeah. to do things. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think there's, there's a con there's a consciousness you can take from that and almost like a reassurance that you can sort of say, you know, I'm taking every opportunity to make the most of my music. Like you said, most, most of my platform, you can sort of leave the stage in good conscience, not feeling like you're contributing to any sort of, I don't know, ideology that's moving yourself away or any capitalist machine or anything you might want to throw eggs at or shout at anyone for kicking puppies or whatever you might want to do. Um, yeah. I'm going to get you here on one final question because 2022 looks like it could be a really big year for you guys. Obviously, the new album's coming out. How does the rest of the year look? What's Oceans of Slumber looking like in six months, 12 months? What's the game plan here? We're so busy. At the <laughs> end, of, we're going on a US run. Um, it's short, but we're going to, we're trying to, you know, kind of break up these runs into not grueling fest, but two weeks here or a three-week run here break another three-week run so we're definitely trying to make the rounds throughout the u.s um and then get overseas when we can like absolutely get overseas either for some festivals um or you know putting a tour together um we have another two singles coming out soon and then yeah just hitting the ground and putting this music in front of people and sharing it with people we had a first show in houston with a lot of the new songs and I've never seen so many uh, older just hardcore metalheads crying <laughs> <laughs> of the underground wow full death metal people just I'm like yeah man y'all had some feelings in there you need to let them out <laughs> I love that weeping into the denim jackets and yeah. stuff <laughs> like you know, and that I'm not, I'm not happy I make people cry, but it's like, it's in there and people need to get it out. And it was a moment. It was really special. And we had a lot of, of fans who have been with us, you know, for a really long time that they're like, this is different. 
and this hit different and that makes me happy because then it's it's being of service and that's what I'm trying to do that's got to be the best thing as an artist to have that kind of emotive sort of sort of feeling from an audience where you're actually not even it's not even like lip service you're actually seeing the emotion happen like it's not oh I listened to your tune and I weeped in like a quiet moment and then pretended it didn't happen like it's actually guys just tears streaming down the face like they're singing a national anthem or something that's phenomenal yeah yeah that's phenomenal well I want to thank you so much for your time uh, I was just some starlight and ashes out July 22nd you should go check it out thank you so much Cameron for coming on and speaking to us thank you thank you